tomorrow Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow There'll be sun Just thinking about tomorrow Clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow Till there's none When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely I just stick out my chin Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, February 13th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Are you guys all pre- prepared for the big game? <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm rooting for Cincinnati because I'm always for the underdog. Oh, excellent. Uh, Howard Sherman on Twitter posted that he thought that we should get 100 million people together uh, once a year to all watch a musical and talk about that. <laughs> so I thought that that was uh, – but I thought to myself, what w- what would we call that? What would we call that? And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a super musical, I guess. You know, um, it would be a good way to turn a profit, I guess, if, um, if we were in a stadium and um, – but <sighs> well, our friend uh, Josh Israel came up with uh, Sunday in the Park with Eddie George. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Bravo, Josh mm-hmm. Israel. Bravo. So that's quite good. Yeah, and then it's uh, quickly followed up by uh, uh, what is uh, what may be considered the worst day of the year by by many men. It's the Valentine's Day. So, uh, <laughs> but Michael, you have a new Valentine, don't you? Uh, yes, I, uh, <laughs> I'm fostering a dog as of yesterday. She came from Tijuana. Wow. In, uh, in a uh, transport of 40 dogs. Wow. Uh, by way of Brooklyn. I had to go to Brooklyn to get her. Wow. Mm. Out and, of the borough. <laughs> yeah. And she was, she, she was pretty scared for you know the I'll first part because then i had to bring the poor thing on the subway can mm. you imagine oh, <laughs> oh boy yeah but wow. i put her in a carrying case and and uh and i kind of put my hand in so i could like pet her well as we were yes yeah. nice good for you good for and you. now she's already seems very much at home and very good. happy good good <laughs> so the occasional barks that you made here are right. not are not michael yelling at john doyle <laughs> well, they could be. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I also wanted to remind everybody that uh, all the drama, uh, playwright Paula Vogel on How I Learned to Drive, the 1998 winner for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, has been released to the public. It's part of Jan Simpson's series, and Jan is going to come on next week to This Week on Broadway and visit with uh, the three of us, so I'm looking forward to that. So, first up... 
Peter, you got over to see Prayer for the French Republic, which is getting a lot of buzz. Tell us what you thought about this play. I'll add to the buzz. Um, I think it's terrific. Uh, Joshua Harmon, who's a wonderful playwright, his play uh, Bad Jews uh, some years ago uh, certainly showed us that. But now he's done even better because he's painting on a much wider canvas. This is a three-hour show. And don't you love it when a three-hour show seems like you've been in the theater for 10 minutes? But mm-hmm. that's what happens, even with two intermissions. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it's about uh, generations of families, uh, one of which um, endured the Holocaust. And um, we are dealing with a Jewish family, the Solomons. Now, for years, I mean, decades, um, maybe even over a century, it is over a century, um, this family has been involved with uh, pianos. The making of pianos, the selling of pianos, so on and so forth. And of course, as you'd expect, there's a lot of talk about whether or not this legacy will be continued, because now um, we're um, we're in the 21st century. And um, so Charles is the the father and uh, he's a physician and um, his wife, Marcel, uh, is a, a professor of um, psychology, psychotherapy, something like that. And they have two grown children, Elodie, that's E-L-O-D-I-E, um, who, uh, boy, uh, <laughs> she is quite the handful, but in, in a phenomenal performance by Francis Ben Hamu, um, magnificent performance. Anyway, <clears throat> she's the type of person who has to argue all the time. It's very important to her to argue um, and uh, don't think that she takes losing easily. Uh, she <laughs> makes sure that she doesn't. Daniel is the son. Now, he's very, very much uh, into the Jewish um, feeling, and um, he believes his religion to the nth degree, and he wears a yarmulke. We're in, we're in France. When, and there's a lot of talk about whether or not everybody should move to Israel, but um, <clears throat> but he's in France. And yet and yet he is attacked at the beginning of the play. And there's a lot of uh, strife about the fact whether or not uh, they should move uh, because his mother magnificently played by Betsy Adam. I, I don't know if you've ever seen Betsy Adam, but I am telling you, I'm still talking about her playing Lee Harvey Oswald's mother at the George Street Playhouse some years ago in a phenomenal play by Rob Urbanati. Um, so she is so good at playing these tough mothers and boy, does she do it here. So anyway, she says, please, will you please wear a baseball cap over the yarmulke? And he feels, of course, not only should he not have to, because he should be able to express his religion the way he wanted to. But he also feels that's a cheat. And who can blame him? Uh, we understand that totally. Um, so now um, there are other characters who show up, too. Uh, there's, a, there's a brother who um, is a, a visitor from New York. Um, and there's also uh, we see the, the previous generation as well. And at the end of the play, we even see the previous generation, Pierre Epstein, a name probably not known to many, but we haven't, for those of us who certainly um, go back a long way, and I qualify, uh, needless mm-hmm. to say, um, Pierre uh, was, I first saw him in Bajor, um, the musical in 1964. I mean, but he was actually in that famous Three Penny Opera revival in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you know, so he goes back a long way. Um, he hasn't appeared off Broadway in 12 years and um, on Broadway for almost 40. But here he is. Um, and we, we hear his feelings about what's gone on 
at the end of the show. Um, he has a very small scene, but boy, does he make it count. Anyway, um, the situ- there's a group scene at the end where everybody talks about the assets and liabilities of being Jewish that is so powerful and certainly makes a lot of us in the audience um, not only sympathize, not only empathize, but even feel ashamed. Um, so Joshua Harmon knows what he's doing. He is such a great writer. And at this point, this is his masterpiece. Can we even dare hope that he's going to do better than this? I wouldn't bet against it because he's only grown and grown and grown and we are lucky for it. So I hope this show can get to Broadway. Um, it may be too late, of course, this season, maybe too much to ask. It has been extended to March 13th. Um, it's a beautiful set, a very smart set, smart set, wonderfully designed. And the wonderful thing about it more than anything else um, is that it looks so simple at the beginning. It looks like it's not going to amount to anything. Takeshi Kata, uh did it. Um, but I'm telling you, stay with, you're going to stay with it anyway. But nevertheless, um, you're going to be so impressed at the twists and turns that it makes. Uh, so so even that is phenomenal. I, I wish it a Broadway run. I wish it a long Broadway one. I wish it all the prizes it can possibly get. That is so great that Pierre Epstein is in it. Yeah. That's amazing. Isn't and it? another reason to uh, that I'm looking forward to it is uh, I haven't seen the show yet. Is that Nancy Robinette is in it? I don't know how large her role is, but she is someone that I have seen in many uh, leading roles in DC theater. Uh, but her only previous New York credit, I think, was as a replacement in the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Uh, so maybe she's uh, starting to get more well-known here. Uh, I, uh, do you? Um... Oh, she was terrific. Um, <clears throat> um, we, um, we have, <laughs> excuse me, we, um, because we actually go back in generations, as I mentioned, uh, just um, around the Holocaust time. And so she's now uh, the um, great grandmother. Oh, okay. of, um, so, uh, so she, yeah, she's very good. Everybody's, everybody's wonderful. Just wonderful. So um, <laughs> even a teenage son um, who uh, certainly has his adventures as well, a kid named Peyton Lusk, really, really fine. So uh, I must see. I must see. So, yeah, the extension to uh, March 13th makes me think that it would be near impossible to transfer it to Broadway in, in time for the cutoff. Yeah. Uh, so... All right, so that's our prayer for the French Republic at uh, Manhattan Theaters Club uh, City Center space. Uh, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, uh, Michael, mm. um, you got a chance to see Black No More, but we're not going to review it per se because uh, official opening night is coming up on Tuesday. Right. But uh, why don't you give us an idea of uh, what the show is and uh, and maybe, you know, should we perhaps buy a ticket? You should buy a ticket if you can get one. Uh, I, I was thinking that this is another show that would seem to have had its sights on Broadway from the beginning because first of all, there are 26 people wow. in the cast. And that's, as we all know, um, such a cast is just not economically viable uh, for a limited off-Broadway run. Uh, but I think the new group um, knows what they have here. And I have to say, as I said to 
James, before we started recording, I think this is by far the best show they have done in years. Um, I'm not always such a fan of the company and uh, its artistic director who directs many of the shows, Scott Elliott, but he did direct this one uh, and um, with choreography by Bill T. Jones. Mm. And there's a tremendous amount of choreography and movement in the show. So perhaps that um, had a very salutary effect, whatever it is, um, the staging, the direction, absolutely wonderful. Uh, this is uh, a new musical with book by John Ridley, lyrics by Tariq Trotter, who I had never heard of until I saw the film of Tick, Tick, Boom. But I, apparently he is quite well known, uh, you know, in rap circles. And uh, he had a wonderful cameo <laughs> in Tick, Tick, Boom. And now here he is uh, not only writing the lyrics and some of the music for this show, along with Anthony Tidd, James Poyser, and Daryl Waters. Um, Daryl Waters is also the uh, musical supervisor. Um, but uh, Terry Trotter is also in the show playing Dr. Junius Crookman, who is uh who is a, a, an African-American in the Harlem Renaissance period who invents a, a machine that uh, that kind of somehow duplicates the effects of vitiligo uh. that, you know, uh, how ironic that this yeah. <laughs> show should open while MJ okay, is right, on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he uh, he he views this as a, you know, a, a, just a way to solve the race problem by turning black people white. Uh, now, of course, this whole thing is not meant to be taken on any realistic level. It's, it's all supposed to be very symbolic. And by the way, um, it's inspired by, uh, according to the press release, inspired by George S. Schuyler's Afrofuturist novel set during the Harlem Renaissance. Um, oddly enough, uh, the, uh, uh, I, I received a one-sheet program, if you could call it that, uh, when I arrived uh, at the Signature Center for the show. And it does say uh, at the bottom, it says scan the code to see the full digital program, uh, which I hadn't done yet. But um, but that that George S. Schuyler credit is not on the one sheet. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's kind of odd. I mean, I think that's pretty important uh, to say what it's based on, uh, you know, even even in only in a one sheet. And I assume it must be on the uh, in the full digital program. But I and Shakespeare feels the same way about West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, less less of a public domain situation here, maybe. I Although maybe so. not. Maybe, maybe not. Done, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, just well. All right. So that this, so that's what uh, Dr. Julie. Uh, Junius Crookman invents this this uh, this very odd method of turning black people white, and uh, it's all about a fellow who who goes through with it, um, and it, that fellow is played by Brandon Victor Dixon, and the uh, the character's name is uh, Max Disher, and. So it's about what happens when he does that and 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 all the adventures he undergoes after that, including uh, I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but he uh, he moves to Atlanta and, and 
marries a white woman. So uh, things get pretty dicey, as you can imagine. The cast is is just great. The 26th person cast is great. Uh, uh, some other people you might recognize in addition to uh, Brandon Victor Dixon or Howard McGillen. Oh. Um, uh, he uh, in a uh, in a very very different role than he has ever played before. Uh-huh. Really, really kind of amazingly good and scary as a white supremacist type. Mm. Um, uh, bearing in mind again, this is set in, during you know this is set during the Harlem Renaissance, so that's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. things were arguably even mm-hmm. worse then than they are mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy Shane is in it. The Stockman, oh. uh, Ephraim Sykes. Uh, and Tariq Trotter is really phenomenal um, as an as an actor in that role uh, that I mentioned. But also, I have to say, I I, I can't wait for the album of ah. this. Of this. Uh, I mean, it's not quote unquote my kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminded me of Hamilton a lot in in the sense of the percentage of rap uh, compared to actually sung material there is a lot of rap but there's also a lot that's full out sung and i think uh to me that always makes rap um much more interesting and more palatable i i I don't dislike rap but i think when an entire score is wrapped and not sung then i really kind of lose interest everything starts to have a sameness to it but Mm. when it's mixed in with singing as it is done so well here and in Hamilton. Um, I, I think it can be uh, a great asset to a show. So that's my um, that's my preview report. And uh, I, I certainly would like to talk about it more after uh, Peter and perhaps James have seen it. Uh, and I would not be a bit surprised if you do see it on Broadway fairly soon again. Um, Unless they already have a deal in place that they're keeping quiet, I don't imagine it would be this season, but uh, maybe, who knows, or if not, maybe the summer or maybe next season. Yeah, who knows indeed. I will say this, that um, <clears throat> my friends who are not rap fans either love this show as well. Nobody's even mentioned rap. You're the first person to mention it. I know about six people who have seen it who are crazy for it. So, um, but again, traditional theater people, and as a result, I'm really surprised that um that they liked it as much under those circumstances because lord knows they've uh, talked about how much they hate rap uh in uh, involved with other shows and the fact that they didn't mention it again yeah. i think is because yeah. it's it's incorporated so very well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i mean the people go from rapping to singing and back it's very much like hamilton in that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and but aside from that uh the the lyrics are phenomenally good uh, by Tariq Trotter. And, the, and I loved all the music. And I just I think that, you know, I have some minor issues with the show, but I think the score is great and I cannot wait to get that album. Wow. Um, and I do believe it'll be recorded, even if they don't have a deal now, because certainly we found out this week that uh, there's going to be a recording of the Assassins uh, production. Yeah. So um, I, I won't be surprised if Van Dean signs this up for uh, his uh, Broadway records, um, because he certainly is on the ball and getting uh, recordings of shows. Oh, I have no doubt that someone will record it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and also Terry Trotter is something of a name. So, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the assassin recording that happened uh, this week from the Classic Stage Company production, uh, I think, is being used as a calling card for uh, raising money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, 
and we're all really excited to get that cast and that production recorded, and uh, hopefully we'll hear that soon. Um, and, and of of note, uh, Michael, is that um, I don't know if you heard, but this Assassins will come out on vinyl. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> will come out on vinyl, yeah. and but the vinyl is probably a year or so away, just because of uh, production. Uh, restraints. They, ah. they they still have. Uh, they they there's a backlog of creating the vinyl, but the the da- the digital downloads and CDs and things like that will be out uh, r- relatively soon. In comparison to the vinyls, probably a year. Uh, is this the f- <clears throat> is this the first time that a show um, revival is on vinyl? That was never on vinyl before. I mean, I, I don't uh, you believe you blew another trivia question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there it is. exactly. Yeah. There it is. You blew that one. Oh, honey, okay. I got a million of them. Believe me. <laughs> they keep Michael, coming. <laughs> so interesting what you said about the uh, the use of of rap and in the mix with uh, not not uh, not rap throughout, but yeah. the mix of music and things yeah. like that. I I I really can't remember. Did Holler, if you hear me, have a mix of music? Music as well, or was it? I I don't have a clear memory of that show. I I think it did. I think it did. I don't think it was all rap. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, if I remember correctly, I felt like Holler, if you hear me, needed uh, more somebody with more Broadway experience to shepherd that. But I could be totally wrong. But I felt like that but mm-hmm. well, also in the Heights was another show with. Uh, although in that case, I think that maybe less less rap uh yeah. than in hamilton or, or in this show but there's quite a bit of rap in hamilton mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, and uh and and in the heights yeah uh uh yeah peter mentioned the uh lack of um credit that uh that william shakespeare gets for west side story <laughs> but west side story seemed to get a lot of uh yeah. representation in the uh oscar nominations uh in the last yes. week or so and yet no tony kushner I mean, so, that yeah. is amazing well, to me. You know, I was just going to say Tony Kushner mm. should feel the same as, as, as uh, Shakespeare. Yeah, I'll <laughs> say, my God, I don't. But yeah, how, how, do you, how can you really say that that's the best picture and um, not acknowledge that screenplay? Because uh, it is such a dramatic uh, achievement over the original. So, I mean, that amazed me. I, w- I was convinced he was going to get one. Convinced. I thought he was going to win, frankly. You know, I so, have. Um, more than one friend who uh, belonged to SAG and they all get screeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just last night, uh, my neighbors actually, uh, I was able to see again. Uh, so I guess for the third time, uh, a, a lot of the West Side Story movie. And it's just fantastic. That uh, opening is so fantastic. Michael, tell them I'll be right over. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we're not going to have to wait too long because right. uh, West Side Story is going to go to Disney Plus and Netflix. Is that the rumor? So, uh, oh, oh, that would be great if it's Netflix too. Yeah, well, and yeah. it's and quite soon. Uh, right? HBO Max. Uh, Greg Christensen uh, and Tim Black uh, corrected me. Uh-huh. And, and Rob. Um, so HBO Max and Disney Plus are going to have West Side Story so we can all, you know, mm-hmm. I can, I, I, I've almost got a screen burn in. Remember the old televisions? They used to have a screen burn in, the tubes sure, would burn, yes. sure, burn sure. in on the screen. Uh, sure, I have sure. a screen burn in of Hamilton on my Netflix wow, or Disney wow. Plus account. <laughs> so uh, it's good to rotate them. 
It's. Uh, I think a screen burn it only works with a, with a steady image, James. <laughs> well, I, I may I may pause it when Philippa comes on. I oh, might, okay. So you know. <laughs> so not for anything. Uh, or Renee. I, uh, Renee. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, all of them. They're just. Yeah. They're just uh, just just too good looking. That whole freaking cast. So uh, there was something else I wanted to say about Westside, but it has eluded me. So we'll move on to uh, talk about a good-looking cast. I saw MJ, and um, uh, Michael and Peter talked about it last week. But, I mean, that cast is really, really good-looking. Everybody on that stage is just uh, very good-looking folks there. I uh, took away from the MJ thing that um, I really enjoyed enjoyed the performances, and I enjoyed the show. And I'm able to really separate um, the Michael Jackson from the artist and the person type of thing. And I, I don't really uh, – I really looked at this as more of a theatrical – thing than I thought about it as a documentary. Right. Uh, it was interesting about the uh, the documentary that was within the show, I didn't realize was an actual thing, that there's the, the MTV actually did this documentary, and so uh, I found it on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long. I'll post it in the show notes as well if anybody's interested in watching that, because I kept on thinking to myself how much of this was... Uh, how much of it was factual, how much of it was a, a dramatic reincarnation. And and from that standpoint, that was really interesting. So anyway, uh, you know, what what came out of Lynn Nottage's mind and what came out, actually out of the people's mouths, uh, it, it became uh, something that I thought about during the show. I think that the I, – I think that this show – you know, if they market it correctly, I think that it is going to be in the Neil Simon for a very long time. If they market it correctly, uh, I think it was a very enjoyable show. The performances were amazing. I did not get to see Miles Frost as MJ. I saw his understudy, um, and the understudy's name was uh, Aramy Payton, uh, who was very, very good as well. Uh, we're all all heard about how great Miles Frost was, but Aramy Payton was very, very good. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed because I'm a Drama Desk voter and I can't vote for Miles Frost because I didn't see him. So uh, I don't know if I'll have time to go back to see Miles Frost or not, but the uh, these type of things, you know, we, as we talked about last week, we're coming into 17 or 19 um, mm -hmm. 17 or 19 openings in, in, in March and April and <laughs> And, you know, uh, if I've already seen it, I'm not going to be able to fit it into the calendar to get back to see it. So, um, uh, I, you know, I think that they've got a hit with Mike, with MJ uh, at the Neil Simon. So, um, Well, I stand by my statement that, that I, and I would think you'd agree, uh, that, that the vast majority of people who come to see this are coming for the performances and the dancing and the music. Yeah. So, uh, and if it delivers in those respects, and I think it absolutely does, uh, everybody's going to be thrilled. Yeah. So uh, that's it for MJ. For me, uh, Peter, you got over to the Atlantic down on 16th Street, not their main space on 42nd, to see Shh. So tell us about this. Yes. S-H-H. <clears throat> 
HHH. All right. So this is um, a play that uh, <laughs> is going to be consternating for so many people. Claire Barron wrote it. Now, she wrote Dance Nation, and um, it's so, that, that was a very nice show. Um, nice is not a word that can be applied to this show. And uh, this is a very sexual show. And for those who uh, aren't interested in kinky sex, I think you're going to have a really hard time for it. There's something um, more than one thing on stage that I have never seen in any show and never expected to see in any show. And um, I I do believe that um, people are going to be somewhat shocked that uh, Greg Keller, um, an actor, can really endure eight times a week, what he endures. Um, And without bursting into tears, it was a very brave performance in many ways. Okay, so um, what's it about? Um, Well, that's a good question, actually. Um, It it does uh, consternate you from time to time. But uh, we are talking about people's sexuality uh, to the nth degree and uh, people who claim they don't want things when they really do want things and eventually decide they want things. That's what's really going on here. And um, we really have to be impressed not only by Claire Barron for um, (laughs) dealing with this subject that a lot of people wouldn't dare to deal with, but also for being in the show. And she's quite, quite good quite good indeed. Um, You wouldn't believe that this is a playwright. Um, You would believe that she's an actress who has done a million shows because she's so uh, secure in what she's doing. It's a terrific performance as um, the woman who um, has still a relationship with her ex-boyfriend. That's uh, the aforementioned Greg Keller. And, um, And he's a guy who, well, yeah, he's he's a writer, but he's not really writing. Uh, maybe he'll write something. Maybe he won't. So on and so forth. Um, but they still have an on again, off again relationship, uh, whether, even though they consider themselves uh, off. Um, and a lot of people are going to think, considering what they do on stage, that they're quite off in a very different way. So, well, uh, she also has a sister and. Um, the sister has her own sexual adventures as well. Um, and uh, we'll see how those play out uh, as time goes on. But um, it, it's funny. Yes, I saw a show called Barracoco um, at 59 is 59th, which is about um, people in restoration comedy times. And they're all dressed in those restoration comedy costumes. And it's all about the fact that you can tell these people are so repressed that they um, they really wish that they could be more sexual than they are. And that's much, not all of it, but that's much of what the show is about. Hmm. Um, Barracoco here. It's centuries later and people are now asking for what they thought they'd never ask for. So let's put it that way and uh, let's leave it at that. I will say that um, so many people leaving the theater um, had, stunned re- looks on their faces. Um, there was a lot of quiet, though um, my favorite remark was in the elevator. There's there's a long elevator ride to go downstairs <laughs> at this uh, space. So there's plenty of time for somebody to perk up. And actually, um, I heard an Asian woman say, it's been a long time since I felt sorry for a straight white man. 
Well, make of that what you will, but that's what was said. So uh, there's going to be a lot of controversy in terms of what people say of this play, uh, for better or worse. So um, I have I made it sound intriguing? I think I have. And uh, it's a small space. So for the truly adventurous theater goer who doesn't need a linear play, but is satisfied with scenes that uh, you haven't seen before, shh, will be for you. <laughs> okay, so we'll have a uh, uh, the sh- uh, link to the show, uh, a link to sh in the show notes on a and- completely different level, James. Yeah. Um, something I didn't mention to you, and so I'm throwing this in. But um, I, what we didn't talk about before the show started, when I gave you what I was going to talk about, please let me talk about a class act, which uh, J Two Spotlight Company is doing on Theater Row. Now, class act is a particular favorite of mine. It was. Um, produced on Broadway the same year as the producers and the producers won a Tony in every category for which it was nominated. I'm not saying it won every Tony because there were some multiple nominations, but nevertheless, in every category it won. So, um, but I will tell you this, it did not get a unanimous uh, tally at the uh, voters because that season I did not vote for the producers as best musical, but I voted for a class act. Um, not just because I wanted to be um, somebody different and I didn't Contrarian. think. Contrarian. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the word. Um, but because I really admire class act so much because I have never, ever, and now it's 21 years later, I have never seen a show where the songs that were written before actually seemed like they were written for the show itself. Uh, Lonnie Price and Linda Klein did an astonishingly good job in fitting these songs in that Ed Kleban wrote. Now, we know him from A Chorus Line, and we don't know him from anything else but a class act, and we wouldn't know about it, about him from anything else if there weren't a class act. Uh, it's, it's the story of him being a songwriter and the difficulties he had with his own personal demons more than anything else, but it also brings up the fact that when you've had an enormous hit like Chorus Line, you're afraid of what you're going to do next. Let's not forget that um, Michael Bennett's next show uh, was a failure, uh, at least in terms of commercial. I, th- I thought Ballroom was terrific, but that's another story entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very hard to follow up a smash hit. And Lord knows that uh, so many um, careers are littered with smash hits followed by failures. And um, so under those circumstances, Ed Kleban really got uh, very, very gun shy. And there are so many allusions to so many shows he worked on over the years. A Thousand Clowns, Merton of the Movies, Scaramouche uh, Gallery, of course, uh, which was the one that uh, at least uh, had a workshop and he felt it wasn't good enough. And that was that. It also deals with his personal relationships and how crazy he was um, literally and figuratively. He actually did time in a mental institution. And they're not shy about telling you that. And they're not shy about telling you that from the beginning. But the songs are wonderful, um, especially the second act opener better um which is such a wonderful song that barbara streisand recorded it unfortunately she didn't release it during his lifetime he died young he was only 48 um and i think it has one of the best songs ever written called the next best thing to love which is a story about how friendship um deep friendship is the next best thing to love and at the end of the song comes to a very interesting conclusion so wonderfully done under Rob Schneider's direction. Uh, 
phenomenal um, Ed. Um, it was originally played by Lonnie Price. It was originally, it wasn't really. It was played by a couple of actors who uh, dropped out. And Lonnie, the director, uh, they said, you're going to have to do it. And he said, you know, I'm really not interested in doing eight a week. But yes, of course, I'll do it if it ha- if that's the only way I can get on. But this gentleman's name is Andy Ty, T-I-G-H-E. And he is terrific playing um, Ed. But they're all wonderful. Um, I was so glad to see Elena Mills playing Sophie, uh, who's the on again, off again. Um, should I marry her? Should I not? Uh, should I marry him? Should I not? Girlfriend. Elena Mills um, is a, a graduate of the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music, uh, where I was critic in residence for a quarter century. And uh, she gave the best performance I ever saw there by a female um, when she did Evita. And if, in case you think that that's just my opinion, she also won the Cincinnati in Choir Award um, as Best Actress in a Musical for Evita. Now, think about it. She was in competition with professionals, and she was still in college, but she won. So she's terrific as Sophie, and she gets to sing that wonderful song of uh, the next best thing to love. So um, um, I was also tremendously impressed by um, Leanna Rubin, um, who's the one non-equity person in the show. But uh, boy, does she deserve her card playing Felicia. Uh, And Felicia is uh, the caustic... uh, uh, always the uh, doom and gloom type of person who really um, just thinks that um, Ed should keep his day job and she keeps her day job and she advances very far uh, in her day job. And it's one of those things where you say, gee, you know, just like in Tick, Tick, Boom, when um, when Jonathan Larson's buddy uh, is doing very, very well in his career, you know, should I stay in this job? Should I do this? You know, so that's an issue here as well. Eric Michael Gillette is Layman Engel, uh, the leader of the BMI workshop at that time and a big staunch fan of um, of Ed's. Um, he um, he rather resembles Layman, uh, rather, you know, uh, much more so than we had in the uh, original production. And what, you know, what's really interesting here was the fact that they didn't quite, um, Rob Schneider didn't quite follow the template of Broadway and having the people um, play the certain roles that they did. I mean, there was doubling in the show and the, the actor who doubled as Marvin Hamlish and the actor who doubled as, um, Michael Bennett. Um, it's a different situation here. And Jesse Manicharian is terrific as Michael Bennett. You'd actually swear it was he. So so this is a wonderful, wonderful production. It has a weekend to go. And um, I think you should get there uh, next weekend on Theater Row, 42nd Street, uh, to see a class act, especially especially if you missed it the first time around. And needless to say, in the year of the producers, a lot of, and Full Monty, a lot of people did because they went to those shows. It didn't last long at the Ambassador Theater. I wish it could last long on Theater Row, but um, I do think it's worth going to. Parenthetically, I believe that the next best thing to love on Broadway was sung by Randy Graff, correct? It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who will soon be back on Broadway in Mr. Saturday Night. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, my fellow Wagner College. That's alum. right. Yeah, that's right. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, yeah, so really looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So um, what was the name of that wonderful director out there? Of which? Uh, which the, uh, who did all those musicals and did them in, in the Wagner. style? Yeah, uh, you mean the, in those in those days. Yeah, um, Lowell Matson. That's who I mean. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. 
if you saw Lowell Mass in production, you actually saw what happened on Broadway. I mean, the staging was um, exactly the same. And um, so it was a great time machine to know exactly for those of us who missed those original productions. Um, it was really something to uh, to see uh, those replicate. You knew you were seeing exactly the way it looked on Broadway. So, um, yeah, he was terrific. Well, I wonder uh, if you saw me in anything there. <laughs> did you see when they did 1776? No. Who were you? I was uh, Dickinson. Not Dickinson. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was not Dickinson. I was uh, what's his name? Roger Sherman from New York. Uh -huh. OK. All right. From New York. Yeah. So yeah. Typecasting. Yeah. Right. OK. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, James, we, you asked me to talk about a different show, but um, I well, let me just uh, <laughs> say that uh, a, a class act is playing uh, uh, this afternoon at 3 p.m. If you listen to our show quick enough to get to it. <laughs> Uh, and it's also 17th, 18th, 19th at 7.30 and on the 20th at 3 p.m. as well. So mm -hmm. uh, you can get out to see that next week. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, yes, Peter, uh, you, have, you gave us your shh information. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's go over to Michael, who saw Stephen Bringberg at Green Room 42. So, Michael, tell us about this. Yeah, well, actually, I'm going to bring us back to West Side Story again briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, because Stephen's guest artist was Nikita Burstein, who oh. we had on our, uh, our on our podcast some time ago, and uh, Nikita sang a, a wonderful little medley of uh, basically the balcony scene song from Romeo and Bernadette, uh, in which he started, which is going to be coming back uh, for a, a, another off Broadway run soon. Uh, and which is a kind of a gloss on Romeo and Juliet. And so uh, he sang a, a little min mini medley of that beautiful song um, into, uh, well, actually into Maria, not into tonight, which I guess is the equivalent of the balcony scene <laughs> in, uh, in uh, West Side Story. But yeah, he sang uh, that, that song into Maria and it was, a beautiful little ar arrangement of those two uh, that I think he worked up with Christopher Denny, who was Stephen's musical director, pianist. Um, and that was great. And then the duet that, uh, that Nikita did with Stephen was uh, the perfect year from uh, Sunset Boulevard, which uh, is a duet that Stephen likes to do with, with several of his guests. And this was, even though it took place, uh, the show was on Thursday, the 10th, it was billed as the Valentine's day show a few days early. So it was filled with love songs, which is not hard to do when you're putting together a show like that. Um, and it was, uh, Stephen was, uh, in excellent voice, um, especially for, uh, certain numbers I, i've heard him i've seen his show many many times and i've heard him sing the way we were many many times but i don't know if it was a combination of um that his voice was in such great shape and that the tempo seemed like a tiny bit slower than usual or whatever but i just felt it was the most beautiful rendition of the way we were uh, that i'd ever heard him give or really many other people uh except for maybe barbara herself <laughs> so it was it was wonderful uh, there were a lot of a lot of other show tunes and non-show tunes uh, uh on all aspects of love and uh i 
I really do love that room, the green room 42. It's, uh, I think, the least claustrophobic room. <laughs> yes, of, that's of, true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a, a wonderful amount of space between tables. And you don't, you never feel like you're, you're up against the person at the next table. And uh, so I, I, I hope they um, continue to be successful because it's a, it's a great place to see a show. It's in the Yotel uh, on 10th Avenue, just below, just below 42nd street. Uh, and so if you haven't seen anything there, check it out. Christine Petty um, is in residence there now. I think she, she is, I'm not sure if it's once a week or once a month, but she's on a regular schedule there uh, with her Petty party. <laughs> uh, show that's funny yeah yeah it is yeah uh well as her, as is her want um, <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> to say and, the uh, least and anyway check out their website they have a great um they they have a great group of people uh that in the past and and coming up uh so bravo to the green room 42 all right so uh finally this morning our the last of our reviews is that Peter got to see space dogs. So uh we started with a dog, we're ending with a dog. Tell That's us right. about this. The show is not a dog though, not at all. Uh it's the damnest thing. Um this is a musical about the dogs that Russia used to put into space before mm-hmm. they decided that men were able to um survive up there. And you know, what a strange thing for a show. <laughs> you know, who'd expect a musical about these dogs? And yet, I'm telling you, even though you are watching stuffed animals during much of the show, <laughs> damn if they don't make you feel for these dogs. <laughs> yeah, really, Van Hughes and Nick Blameyer, um did the show in every conceivable way. They wrote the music. They wrote the lyrics. They essentially wrote the book. And, and they're in it. It's a two character show and they play instruments and I mean, they do everything and they're very appealing, but the real miracle is making you care about these dogs. And at the end, they have a list of all the dogs that went into space. They have their names as they were called. And, um, and by then you almost, I'm not saying I had tears in my eyes. I'm not going to go that far, but I'm telling you, if the show had gone on five more minutes, I think I might have. Um, <laughs> it, it, it really is something to take this uh, situation. Oh, I'm going to tell you something about the show that you'd best know now. And that is the fact that at the beginning of the show, they have about mm, two dozen stuffed animals and they throw them into the crowd. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is a big expense. Stuffed animals are not cheap. I mean, you know, I mean, wow. To Every night they're throwing dogs, um, stuffed animals into the crowd. And everybody was so excited to get these animals. Oh, wow. You know, what a nice souvenir. They make you give them back. <laughs> 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 so don't get excited if you catch a, a, a stuffed animal. But what you should catch is space dogs. Maybe I should bring my dog and eat it to see. This. That's right. Yes. <laughs> He'd love it. She, He's, she, yeah, I, I, Anita, yeah, yeah. I, I know that she'd bark best damn musical I've seen in years. Right? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's very good. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's a uh, Peter. Like uh, if you catch a football in in the NFL in the stands, you have to get it, it back. Get it back, yeah, not baseballs though. 
Yeah, yeah. not baseballs. They right. have a, a certain number of footballs that are allocated for each game. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's really true. And yeah. Unless you're Tom Brady, then you can get whatever you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> exactly. Now with everyone, you may come back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Before we get on to trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com, where there's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time, you can get an, automatically get an episode of This Week on Broadway, download it to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you can get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today, including that uh, Michael Jackson documentary from 1992 that played on MTV. Uh, If you want to get transcripts of uh, this or any of our Broadway Radio offerings, email us at transcripts at broadwayradio.com and let us know which episode you want, and we will send out a transcript to you. So, Peter, do you have an answer for last week's trivia? A character in an 80s musical had a foreign name. If you translate that name into English, you'll get the name of a Kander and Ebb song. What's the foreign name, the English song name in the musicals? Well, Flemchen in the 1989 musical Grand Hotel established in dialogue, well, at least during the Boston tryout, that her name translates to The Flame, which was the name of a Kander and Ebb song from their first Broadway show, Flora the Red Menace. Josh Israel was the first to get it, followed by Brigadude, Ingrid Gammerman, and Greg Christensen. Paul Witte said that Arturo was a character in the 1989 musical Dangerous Games, and Arthur in the Afternoon is a Candor and Ebb song from the act, but Arthur in the Afternoon has too many words. I'm just talking about the actual name. Okay. And what about Tony Janicki? He got it, he got it, but he finished last dead last with no hope of advancement. Here's the irony. When Tony was in town two weeks ago, he called and said, let's get together. I said, sure. Meet me on 58th and 9th in a restaurant called the flame on the way there. This question occurred to me. So Tony, you should have been the first to get it, but you weren't, but you weren't. And this week I'll be giving the type of question which you've told me is the type you like least a question that asks, What do these shows all have in common? Come on, Tony. Just because your name, Anthony Janicki, has almost every letter found in the word chicken, that doesn't mean you have to be one. All right. Face your fears. Man up. Let me know what these shows have in common. And that goes for everybody else, too. All right. Annie, get your gun. The chairs. Farinelli and the king. Hallelujah, baby. The Wizard of Oz. The Ziegfeld Follies of 1936, The Student Gypsy or the Prince of Liederkranz. And if you think that title's long, how about The Persecution and Assassination of Jean-Paul Marat is performed by the inmates of the Asylum of Charenton under the direction of the Marquis de Sade, a show I'm also including. Good luck, everyone. Okay, if you have an answer for that, and I don't, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, the musical moment for this week, what do we've got? Well, in honor of my new roommate, Anita, (laughs) I was thinking of songs from musicals that are either about dogs or involve dogs in some way, and our opening tune needs no introduction uh tomorrow from annie one of the classic 
moments in Broadway musical history, which of course they cut out of the movie. Um, mm, mm. <laughs> I'll never Why? forget our, our, fr- our friend, uh, our friend Gerard Alessandrini said, you know, Annie had two of the greatest moments, you know, ever in his show when that little girl sings that song to that dog. And at the end, when they drag off Miss Hannigan and they made the movie and they cut out both of them. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so uh, I don't know, apparently John Houston who yeah, directed yeah. the movie hated mm. the song well mm. why don't, hire don't, him don't, yeah, don't the movie. <laughs> anyway i could go on and on but uh <laughs> but you know fortunately uh it, you know it remains in the show and every time annie is revived on stage which i'm sure it will always be uh tomorrow is always there and uh annie's always sings it to sandy um so that is our very very famous opening uh, song and our closing number is not as famous, but a really terrific song called "Times Like This." I was hoping it was going to be that. Yes, from <laughs> from the Flaherty and Aaron's show, "Lucky Stiff." Uh, uh, Flaherty and Aaron's also a former podcast guests. Uh, really, really wonderful score. This is from uh, the. Uh, studio cast album uh, that was the first recording of the score that featured some of the original cast members, um, including Judy Blazer singing times like this and doing a beautiful job with it. There's a, a later recording of a, of an off Broadway uh, revival, I guess, but um, this is from the, the, that first recording. And uh, it's a very sweet song about how uh, in a nutshell, you know, we get unconditional love from dogs. Uh, none of the none of the drama, <laughs> uh, you know, that that can be involved uh, with people. Uh, so, and it's such a sweet song that that a mm-hmm. that a woman sings when she's you know when she really needs to express that emotion. A, be- a beautiful job by Judy Blazer. So please enjoy times like this. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. All I have to say is I am happy to be sitting here doing what is meaningful to me. Working on behalf of the Universal Dog Home, not barking up a stranger's tree. Now my idea of company would be A friendly face, the kind of face that melts you with a grin The kind of eyes that welcome you the minute you walk in A tender glance simply can't refuse At times like this a girl could use a dog He listens when you tell him things There's nothing you can't say And unlike certain people You can teach him how to stay And if the world is giving you the blues He cheers you up by chewing up the news It 
It's things like that that make you choose a god. Other people need romance, dancing, playing around. Other people need constant fun. Well, I'm not one. I have my feet on the ground. Give me a quiet night, a stack of books, a tune or melt. And I, a simple walk together underneath the starry sky, and suddenly the night is something rare, and all because there's someone special there who's gazing at the view. His head upon your shoes. At times like this, I sure could use a dog.